When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you have. And uh, this is so typical of the way Washington works. We have the special federal supplemental coronavirus unemployment compensation coming to an end in a week. And just today, the politicos are starting to try to figure out if they're going to offer any kind of replacement, what it'll be, how it will work, and all the rest. Very, very last minute. And I think part of it is that political leaders and elected officials live in a bubble. You know, they don't live in the world of hardship that so many of our fellow Americans do. And so it doesn't seem pressing to them. People who've been trying to hold it together with rubber bands, who've lost their jobs, um, who may have been rehired, now laid off again. And it's been a really rough go for many tens of millions of Americans. I think there's about 25 million people that have been heavily dependent on the special coronavirus unemployment compensation. It's pretty clear that as the Congress figures out what it's going to do, there's zero chance that there will be $600 weekly federal supplement going forward that there's been in the past. If I were to take a bet, and this is as a complete outsider, I think they'll end up about $250 to $300 per week is an extension as a federal overlay on top of state unemployment. And originally, there were a number of people in Washington who said there would absolutely never, uh, never is a strong word, be any kind of additional federal supplement for unemployment. Uh, never didn't last long as the extreme spread of coronavirus recently across the South and the West has become a big issue in this fall's campaign. And so you're going to see the Congress members of both parties come forward with some kind of extension at a lower level because philosophically there was an objection among a number of members of Congress that a lot of people were incentivized potentially to stay on unemployment where with the $600 federal supplement, they were actually making more not working than they were making working. But having some level of federal supplement and continuing coverage for people who are non-traditional workers, independent contractors, self-employed, gig workers, is almost certainly going to be part of the mix. And the reason is, is that they don't want this to cascade in the economy 
with a huge number of evictions from apartments, potential foreclosure actions against homeowners who would be tapped out by continuing issues with unemployment. The picture on the job front overall is significantly improved from where it was in April, but is still really pretty terrible. And new data being monitored by various sources, both in the federal government and outside, finds that as the number of cases has grown in a number of states, that economic activity has started to cool again after things had been recovering. So that's why, after it looked like there might not be another coronavirus stimulus law, it looks really highly likely that there will be one. There may be some dramatic activity this week with conversations breaking down and everything looking doom and gloom on something happening, but I would be very, very surprised if there's not another quite large stimulus law that ends up in hand sometime in the next 10 days. And again, I have no inside information. It's just the way I think it's going to look because we still are in a tough spot. I mean, we've, we've had a very, very difficult time managing coronavirus in the United States, and it has had an effect on our economy in so many different ways, including creating hardship on a lot of people at the lower end of the income ladder, much higher numbers there than up the income ladder. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate. Kim, who do you have a question from? Up first today is a woman named Kim as well, and she's from Georgia. She says, with the current COVID pandemic, is tuition insurance a good idea for the upcoming fall semester for college students? Wow, this is a question that was difficult pre-pandemic, becomes more difficult today. So depending on the policy, there can be variations with a college tuition insurance plan, what it does cover. So let's start with generally what they don't cover pre-pandemic. They don't cover any situation that involves a pre-existing medical condition. So if you end up uh, as a student with a medical problem that reoccurs, the insurance will not cover you. As far as wanting to drop out because you don't feel safe, because of coronavirus, it won't cover that either. So generally what the policy covers is if you have an illness that was not a pre-existing condition, that it then gives you protection on the uh, tuition that you would pay otherwise. The other situation that may or not may not be covered, depending on the actual policy that you buy, is whether it provides tuition coverage in the event you lose your job as the payer of tuition. So with any tuition plan, any tuition insurance, you need to forget the brochure that comes with the policy and read the contract itself. That's how you'll know whether or not you have any real meaningful coverage 
that's worth paying for for a child going back to college or even with private school students who are offered, the parents are offered these tuition insurance plans. Before you spend the money on one, read what they cover, more important, what they exclude before you spend the money. Joel? Clark Adrian in Oklahoma says, I have a $5,000 CD that matures at the end of this month. I can renew at 0.9%. Currently, though, I'm at a rate of 2.5%. So what do you recommend as the best investment strategy in use of these funds? Okay, so first of all, having money in CDs or savings accounts is not actually investing. It is Investing is when you put money at risk that you could lose the money. And you're not doing that when you're in a CD or a savings account. Now, CDs, if you shop around, are paying very, very low rates right now because the banks that issue them, even the online banks, are expecting interest rates to decline moving forward. So where CD rates were much higher than what people could earn in savings accounts as recently as six months ago, now, ironically enough, what you can earn in a CD generally is lower than you can earn in a savings account, just a little over 1% shopping around for those. So the alternative right now is to go in a straight savings account. They're not going to pay much more. They're going to pay right around, almost right on top of what you'd earn in a CD. And so the rates on those have declined half a point in just the last six weeks. So it's hard. It's hard if you're trying to hold on to money, keep it safe, keep it preserved. There's not really any true safe harbor that will earn you a decent amount of money. So I say right now what you do is you split the baby. You take half the money that you were earning the 2.5% on, I think that's what you said, and put it into the best online savings account you can get. And then the other half go into a one-year CD. And that means for half the money, you'll know you're locking in right around 1%. The other half could move up or down because where the economy is going, what happens with inflation, all that, is such a question mark right now, I don't know that I would go all in one way or the other. As far as other alternatives, other things that could get you more return involve the risk that you could lose a portion of your money. And if that's not where your head's at, I don't even want to get into investing possibilities. Kim? Tammy in Ohio says, we plan to sell our home next year, though with the market being what it is and home selling so fast right now, would it be a mistake to wait another year? Should we make efforts to go ahead and sell this year instead? You know, in a lot of places around the country, the home market has been very good at certain price points. And one of the real motivators is, ironically enough, the interest rates we were just talking about for savers has also led to record low interest rates for borrowers for mortgages. So that has gotten a lot of people who maybe were sitting on the fence about buying a home 
to move up their schedule if they're job secure and buy a home now. I'd say it's really worth it for the for what is a really good environment in many markets to sell for you to speed things up, put your house on the market, and if it doesn't move, ah well, you just take it off the market after a listing period and come back and try again next year. But if it does sell, you have the certainty that you're done and you've gotten a good price for that home. But it's a lot of work to get a home ready for sale. Joel? Uh, Clark Sophia in Texas says, my truck was hit by a delivery driver and the driver took off. However, I was able no. to get video footage of the driver with my truck. I went ahead and I filed a police report. I called the business, however. They refused to take responsibility because they stated that drivers are considered independent contractors there. So what should I do? You specifically have to go after that driver on the hit and run. I'm interested you filed the police report. Are the police doing anything about going after that in individual for committing what, depending on the jurisdiction, could be a very serious crime doing a hit and run? Um, the individual involved, who is in many cases a delivery person, will be an independent contractor, is the individual you're going to have to seek out and sue. If they have vehicle insurance, which hopefully they do, the insurance company will become the involved party, and you having the video and all the rest is a huge help to you. And move on this quickly. The faster you get things going, the better it is for you to get results, hitting the right buttons to get money, probably, almost certainly, from the driver's insurance. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jill joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jill. How are you doing? Great. How are you, Clark? Good, thank you. So I'm just smiling because I understand you want to talk to me about uh, preteen being able to communicate with fellow preteens in the Apple orbit to do FaceTime and iMessage and all that. Is that right? Yep, it is. Yeah, so it's become the top lure for Apple to get people from a very young age into their orbit is the issue of being able to communicate with people on the preferred platform for preteens and teens, which is the iOS ability to do FaceTime and also the maybe iMessage even more important. Yep. So you're suffering sticker shock, aren't you? Right. And I'm an Android user myself, so I don't have an old phone to give her. I'm kind of clueless when it comes to the Apple world. So... What you're going to find is that there's a huge market for used older iPhones that people never hook up to a cellular network, at least not for a good while for a preteen, and you're able to buy these for less than 100 bucks for an older one, 
and maybe somewhat more for a newer one. You'll see them a lot available on eBay if you go back generations on the iPhone. And Amazon's clearance site, which is called Woot, does an older iPhone sale about two or three times a month and usually starting at like $89 for an older one. Are there any risks? Like, am I going to have trouble attaching her iCloud account to them? Oh, none. None. Only if one was stolen. So Okay. And and buying from (laughs) like... We're getting really negative here immediately, aren't we? Only if it's stolen. Well, I've heard horror stories about buying them from eBay and then not being able to attach iCloud accounts, and so they're kind of useless then. So that's what they call a bad ESN, electronic serial number where someone has stolen one and it's gone uh, into what they call bricking mode. So Uh if you go and buy an older iPhone on eBay, you want to buy it only from one of their top-rated sellers. And all the top-rated sellers of iPhones and Androids offer you generally fairly unconditional 30-day rights to return for refunds. Okay. Uh, be careful buying an old iPhone on Craigslist, which is so easy to buy locally, but that's where you're overwhelmingly going to end up with one that's a stolen one. So I, I think you'll find this not to be the hard part. The hard part is limiting your child's time on that iPhone once they have it. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. So last week, I talked about retailers implementing mask rules, that you can't come in their stores unless you're wearing a mask. And since I talked about it last week, It has been an avalanche. You know, Walmart is such an influential retailer, the world's largest retailer, that when they went to 100% mask rule for Walmart stores and Sam's Club stores as of today, suddenly everybody else in retail was like, yeah, we're doing it too. There's been very few outliers. There's a small regional uh, grocery chain called Win dixie that went the other way and said, you don't want to wear a mask, we're your store. Come and see us. We don't even make our employees wear masks. But that's really an outlier on what has happened. So you may be wondering what caused so many of the nation's retailers to move essentially in lockstep, companies that compete so heavily against each other, supermarkets and all the rest, It's because of new data on how bad the outbreaks of coronavirus have become in so much of the country. And we now have roughly 15 times the number of daily cases as there are across Western Europe, even though the European Union has a population significantly larger than the United States. So we are out of control. We have not been able in the United States to implement a standard health protocol 
of testing, tracing, and isolating. And even if we got our act together this moment, we're at least three months away from having that in place. So the only way to save lives right now and the economy, and these retailers want to save their employees' health, and they want to improve the economy by being part of bending the curve on coronavirus, is to do the public health stuff that you and I can do. And masks are very essential at reducing the spread of disease. One of the things that has been talked about a lot by politicians in the Midwest is after hair salons were allowed to reopen and there was the hair salon in Missouri that had the two hairstylists who both had coronavirus. They were fully masked up and they did not lead to a spread of the illness in spite of so many people having been in their chairs before either of them realized they had corona. And that's one of the things that's just an anecdotal thing, but the evidence is clear as could be that the mass thing is really key. In addition to keeping uh, two yards, six feet away from other people and not going to any significant indoor gatherings at all. And the whole purpose of this is to reduce the fatality rate and hospitalizations for people generally beyond age 50. Uh, there's a lot of people who think this policy of retailers is going to fail. Walmart has been really providing cover for other people in retail where there's been concern about violence or defiance, where Walmart is taking one of their employees and every hour the store is open, there's going to be what they refer to as health ambassadors. And they stand behind barricades and they allow people in one at a time, making sure that they are properly masked up before they enter the store and reminding them that they must wear a mask the entire time they're in the store. And our uh, fight culturally in the United States about masks is something that has really surprised people around the world because it's so clear that this is something that could save an enormous number of lives and reduce the number of infections and hospitalizations. So if you are someone who has strongly objected to masks because of uh feeling like it's a proper political belief or that you're expressing freedom. Please remember what I said last week. If you heard me, I want to reiterate this, that the mask is not to protect you. It's to protect others. And you don't want to unknowingly uh, kill somebody else. And that's what you would be doing if you're not masked up, you breathe on others, you give them coronavirus, and they have a pre-existing health condition or they're older, you could be issuing a death sentence to that individual. So please think about that as you may philosophically or culturally object to wearing masks. The life you save could be someone you really love, a friend or family member. 
It's time for your questions now that I have done the full guilt trip thing on you. Uh, producers Kim and Joel alternating asking questions that you've posted. And who's up now? That would be me. And this is from Nicole in New York. Nicole says, our three-year-old was just diagnosed with high-functioning autism, and we are confident that this is only a unique learning style and that he has a very bright future ahead of him. We currently have about $9,000 in a traditional 529 account. Would you advise rolling this over to an ABLE account instead, since both accounts could technically be used for college expenses? Are there any disadvantages to rolling it over? Also, if we don't need the funds, can we give ABLE account funds to a different dependent child for college if it didn't work out with child number one? All right. First of all, congratulations to you for the research you've done. Uh, most people who have a child who might qualify as having a disability are not aware of the incredible advantages of an ABLE account. An ABLE account is like a sibling of a 529 you use for college, known as a 529A if you want to be technical. And so you can, under a change Congress made in the law a couple of years ago, take 529 funds and move it into an ABLE account. ABLE accounts provide you enormous flexibility on the moves you make in terms of money your child may need. It allows someone to build up up to $15,000 a year into an ABLE account and over the years build up money that can be used uh, much later in life potentially for care that a child may need. It also can be, once it's in the ABLE, it can also be used for college just like it would have been in the 529 account traditional. So this is a, a really uh, clever move on your part, a smart move. The neatest thing about the ABLE is that the money does not affect a parent of a severely disabled child from being able to get assistance that government at various levels might offer because money in an ABLE is not considered to be assets that would disallow assistance. Joel? Clark Bryan in Washington says, Clark, with interest rates so low, I'm looking to refinance my mortgage. My mortgage broker, who I trust, recommended a no-cost refinance in exchange for a slightly higher interest rate, even though the new rate would still be lower than what I'm currently paying. He said, in the long run, it will save me money. We'll probably end up selling our house in about five years. So could you explain how paying a higher rate now, but not adding in closing costs to my mortgage saves me more money than adding in the closing costs now? All right, that's a great question. You never want to increase the balance of your loan. It sounds like that's what you'd be doing if you did a traditional closing cost loan. So taking a higher rate, keeping your balance down without knowing exactly when you might truly unload the home is a better idea, as the mortgage broker has suggested. In many cases, though, with an ownership cycle of five years or longer, the best answer is something else. If you have the funds to pay the actual closing costs, you may be better off doing that and taking the lower rate you could get otherwise. But rolling those costs into a loan, increasing the balance, I don't like that. Um, the way you figure out whether you're better off doing a no closing cost refi or paying closing costs, and as a general rule, 
is if you can make up those closing costs in 30 months or less by taking the lower rate, take the lower rate and pay closing costs. On the other hand, if you can't make that up in 30 months, take the no closing cost route. Many times that is best. Kim? Russell in Ohio says, does Costco ever have membership deals? Yes, Sam's Club does membership deals all the time that are very generous. Uh, Costco does occasionally. And Costco's membership deals tend to work in a general area like this. You pay 60 bucks for a base Costco membership per year. And often they'll have a deal where with a code, you get a $20 Costco shopping card making your effective membership 40 bucks. And then on top of it, they may give you a free rotisserie chicken and a few other things for free that at least the first year will make your membership close to free. And we post those when they happen at ClarkDeals.com. Austin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Austin. Oh, my goodness. I, after decades of listening to you, I finally get to talk to you. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're with us. You're the reason I drive my razor in the morning. You're the reason I chose the company I did for my Roth. Uh, you picked my auto insurer. So uh, I, I just realized today, like, how many times you've influenced my life. And All right, so i got to ask you a question. How long are you getting Blades to last? Yeah, I'm probably about a six-month kind of guy. All right, so I'm at 11 months as of just a couple of days ago with my current razor and i'm such a stubborn fool because i nicked my chin i cut myself shaving and i know i need to replace that blade it's dull it needs to go and i still haven't done it and now that i've confessed to that i my goal had been to make it one year with that blade and yeah, I, I, can't go that. I can't be that Clark. So I'm going to, I'm going to change it out now. <laughs> but no, I put a freeze on my credit card for years. Like I just realized how many, as I was waiting to talk to you, how many times you've made an influence on my life. The one thing I guess I've never heard you talk about specifically is condo insurance. Um, I understand, you know, obviously when I pay my monthly fees that, um, you know, that, that covers the exterior of everything outside my condo. Is the insurance that you buy for inside your condo really just for possessions? I guess I'm more worried about things that are more significant, like say if the water heater were to burst sure. and there was water damage or no, no, the, uh, just something. It's a great question you ask because if you think about a traditional homeowner's insurance policy, it's covering the dwelling, and that's what people are concerned about, and liability as well that you may have. So what a condo policy does is it's a lot cheaper than a homeowner's policy because you're buying the liability part, which you really, really need in a condo. Because, Leah, if you, let's say you flushed a toilet, left, and you go away for the day, and while you're gone, that toilet kept running and flooded a whole bunch of units, and you're having to pay for that, you know, because you were liable. That's where having a condo policy is really important. When something happens that you're found to be at fault, the condo policy is core and central. Then the other thing uh -huh. is under your condo with the insurance they have that's the master policy, in most condos it comes to the unfinished interior 
of your unit. Doesn't even cover the sheetrock in, typically. So if there was something that happened to your unit, you would be rebuilding it, and without a condo policy, that would all come out of your pocket. Okay. So I always it, thought it was more about possession, so that's good to know. No, like a renter's policy. A renter's policy is, uh, they've modified over the years, but a renter's policy principally is for possessions and what's happened uh, is we've become a society more worried about lawsuits. Renter's policies almost always include $100,000 in liability coverage. A condo policy, uh, 100000 would be the minimum in liability coverage you would see, but it would come with that plus coverage for your possessions plus what a renter's policy wouldn't, and that's to rebuild the interior of your unit if it was damaged and it's your responsibility. Okay. So Is there call any the company, company in particular that, you'd recommend? Yeah, so I would call who writes your auto insurance and see uh, if, it's Amica, the one that you told me to use, but, uh, awesome. but they don't do they don't do condos here in Florida. Oh man, nobody wants anything to do with condos <laughs> or houses in Florida. Yeah. So you're going to be with one of the pretend companies. I you know, we pay real dollars to insure but they pretend to cover us if you have a property in Florida. So you're going to be with one of the um, companies in another state would be considered to be basically non-standard, that they're not well underwritten. But for a condo policy, you should be okay. Um, what I would suggest, call an independent agent, if you're familiar with that term, mm-hmm. and get a quote from an independent agent on a condo policy. You could even do a... Um, whatever search engine you use, you could do a search for a condo policy and do the search condo policy Florida and companies should pop up that write condo insurance in the state of Florida. And good luck to you. And, you know, the the diciness of the storms is going to make it tougher and tougher for people to get that coverage. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.